It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 973-667-1960. Just a reminder, folks, uh, since we are back on remote, we only have that one line. So if the line is busy, we already have a caller on, by the way. So just keep trying. As soon as the caller that's on hold drops off, we will get to you. And there will be no one screening the call since I'm hosting. So uh, you'll basically just hear a little bit of a click after you call in and you'll hear us. And then we'll bring you on and you can introduce yourself. Big Blue Kickoff Live is, of course, part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our shows, including Big Blue Kickoff, Giants Rewind, and Giants Huddle on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and all your favorite podcast platforms happy tuesday lance meadow how are you sir i am doing very well how about yourself we're doing great here lance and the nfl nothing happens as it's supposed to and this turned out to be a little bit of an upset week in the nfl and it continued on monday night and we'll get to the giants in a second but we just got to mention washington with a comeback victory against pittsburgh on monday late afternoon football and I had watched that first half, Lance. I had to take care of my daughter, put her to bed. I got back downstairs. I saw Washington had the three-point lead, and I saw the Roethlisberger interception. And while Giant fans probably are thinking, walking out on Sunday, we're going to be in sole possession of first place heading into that game against Arizona. Washington with other ideas. Yeah, they had a heck of an effort down the stretch of that game. The fact that they outscored the Steelers 20-3, to and to your point, they came up with one big defensive play after another. Montez Sweat actually was doing that the entire game. He batted down three balls. The third one was a charm because it got up in the air, and John Bostic was in the right place at the right time, and they were able to tack on another field goal, and the Steelers' offense clearly has had issues the last two weeks against the Ravens in Washington, but once again, it's no coincidence because those are two of the best defenses in the NFL. And the Giants know that firsthand. Washington's defense wreaks some havoc in those Giants games. This is another sign, like the Giants, John, of a team that is starting to come into its own. Washington was a very young team early this season. Guys now have gotten more reps. They're getting a feel for Jack Del Rio's defensive scheme, what Scott Turner's running on offense, and it really is no different than the Giants. I see a lot of parallels between yeah. both of these teams, and I don't think it's a coincidence that they're starting to play their best football here down the stretch. Yeah, and both these teams, Lance, have stopped beating themselves, and that's yeah. really the first step here. And a caller called in yesterday to, to Lance and to uh, Jeff and Paul, and they pointed out at something that Coach Marvin had said either earlier in the year or over the summer where, you know, first you start winning the games you should win, then you start getting competitive against good teams, then you start winning the, those games that you're against teams that you're even with, then you start winning the games you're not supposed to win. And the Giants now have gone from Lance taking advantage of other teams, winning games you're supposed to win. Now you're not only winning some games you're not supposed to win, but they're imposing their strengths on other teams' strengths. So every year, every week rather, we go into every game, Lance, and we talk about how, well, this team has a weak run defense. You can attack them. They're susceptible to the deep ball. Try to go downfield. Well, you went into this game against Seattle on Sunday, and the Giants were facing the third-best rushing defense in the league, not only in yards per game, but more importantly, yards per attempt. Third in both categories. They had one of the best linebacking cores in all of football, a strong defensive line up the middle, 
And the Giants, after a rough first half, imposed their will against a very good rushing defense and won the game by committing to their strength regardless of the fact it was also the strength of the, of, of the opposition. And I thought that was a nice step here where you're seeing the Giants, you know, so comfortable in what they do that they're almost disregarding the strength of the opponent doing it anyway and doing it well. And I think that is a real sign of a team that's making progress in finding and cementing an identity that allows them to win football games. Well, I also think it requires getting players to produce above the X's and O's, as we like to say, because you go back to that Seahawks game, but Wayne Goldman had a career day, okay? Let's not dismiss that. And a big part of that was the huge 60-yard run off the edge where he got leverage, and then he was able to get into open space up the left sideline. It takes plays like that, John, to win games that you're not expected to. And once again, I want to go back to Washington, not to get us off topic, but Cam Sims, for example, made two really big conversions on third downs in yesterday's game. He converted a third and 14, and that helped move the chains, a 31-yard gain, and then he made a great one-handed grab that helped set up Washington to get the go-ahead field goal. Those are the types of plays you need to make to go into Seattle and knock off a very fundamentally sound Seahawks team, which is good against the run, to your point. And then what Washington needed to do to solve what is one of the stingiest secondaries in the NFL. Now, granted, they lost a few guys due to injury, but still, overall, a very solid unit. So you go back to the Giants game, Wayne Goldman with his big runs, Alfred Morris hauling in a pass from Colt McCoy for the touchdown, Eli Penny chipping in with two runs, and he wasn't somebody that, you know, get a lot of notoriety. You look from top to bottom, whether it be the offensive line, the rushing attack, on defense, Nico Lelos making opportunistic plays, Jabal Sheard, that's what it requires to win these games that are borderline walking the fine line of a win and a loss. And that's why Washington and the Giants have all of a sudden turned things around. You got Washington's won three in a row. The Giants have won four in a row. There's going to be a neck-and-neck battle, and it's going to come down to those type of performances, John, here down the stretch to determine who in all likelihood is going to win this divisional crown. Yeah, and I think we're seeing the offensive line continue to grow with their run blocking. And on that play that Wayne Gallman ran for 60 yards, he was barely touched. I think one player got a hand on him in the backfield, but not even a legitimate tackle attempt. And he was 50 yards down the field before somebody laid a hand on him. Andrew Thomas made really good blocks in that play. The tight ends, they ran a lot of three tight end stuff in the second half of that game. Uh, Ten total uh, three tight end runs in the second half of that game. They ran 13 times out of that 13 personnel for 75 yards. And we're seeing the offensive line come together as a run-blocking unit. Uh, They really didn't have to pass block a ton, and when they did, the Giants were still getting the ball out quickly, so Colt McCoy wasn't holding the ball a long time. And Lance, look, they're, they're doing what they need to do to win, and I think a big theme for me here is that I wasn't positive heading into this game, and I think I made this pretty clear last week, even if I didn't say it in so many words, whether or not the Giants could beat an explosive offensive team like Seattle with the same method that they've beaten teams like Washington, Philly, and Cincinnati, given the way those teams have struggled offensively. Where the Giants, I think they've scored 27 against Philly, otherwise they haven't scored more than 23 points in any of their other wins. Could they win that type of, you know, ugly, low-scoring, close, nip-and-tuck type of game against a team like Seattle on the road against a quarterback like Russell Wilson with those weapons, go down the list. We went through it all last week. Could they win with that style? A very, frankly, 
non-modern way of trying to win. You know, that's like a 90s way of winning football games. But the Giants went out there and they did it. And, and they imposed their will on Seattle in the second half of that game. And they won by running the ball and playing defense. It, it, it's, it's an old school, some might say antiquated way of going about things. But that's gotten the Giants four straight wins here. Well, you don't get style points for how you win. Right. So all it matters is that the level of execution is better than the opposing team. And that's what it was on Sunday. It wasn't a pretty game for the Seahawks. And there are a lot of things that the Giants coaching staff is going to go back and look at and say, you know, we need to improve. But they made the necessary stops at key opportune moments. And I think what can't be overlooked in that game, at least this was the one thing that jumped out to me. Yes, they sacked Russell Wilson five times. And you want to see that volume because that was a season high. But the fact that he lost 47 yards from those five sacks, John, that to me was a huge difference maker because Seattle was getting into Giants territory. It may have been like pulling teeth for them, but they were getting into Giants territory where, you know, they were another first down or two from potentially putting two more field goals on the board. Yep. Mm -hmm. And those sacks were so crucial. If you look at the five sacks, you had three of them come when the Seahawks were in Giants territory. One was when it was a first and 10 at the Giants 41, Peppers forced Wilson to lose eight. Then it was a second and 10 from the Giants 28. Okay, that drive, they overcame the sack to score a touchdown, but you know why? Because it was the lowest amount of yardage lost. That was the sack that Jabal Sheard and Leonard Williams shared. Russell Wilson only lost five. So that's a little bit more easier to overcome. And then the other one was a third and 10 from the Giants 46 once again. You get 10 yards there, you're probably going to bring out Myers potentially. It's possible. It's still borderline. But Leonard Williams forces Russell Wilson to lose eight yards. So the amount of distance that Russell Wilson lost because of the pressure he faced, that was a huge difference maker. And that's yeah. how mm -hmm. you execute and do a better job against an elite quarterback compared to what you went up against with Brandon Allen, to your point, the previous week. Yeah, they short-circuited a bunch of Seattle drives by getting those negative plays, and really a lot of them were on early downs too, Lance. Just to give you a quick breakdown, I put this in our Cover 3 story that was up on Giants.com. Me, you, and uh, Dan Salomon put up our takes off the game. The Giants put Seattle into a second and 18 in this game, a second and 16 in this game, a second and 26 in this game, a second and 25 in this game, and they had him in a third and 15 in, in this game. So that's five different drives, right? Seattle scored on only one of those five drives. So those big negative plays, some were sacks, one was an intentional grounding penalty, one was that botched screen pass to Carlos Hyde on the left side that lost you know six yards or whatever it was. So those types of big negative plays put Seattle in the hole. And then to put on top of that, Lance, Seattle, I believe, only had three plays of 20 or more yards in the game, if I'm not mistaken, and they had no passes of 30 or more yards in the game. So you combine getting them in those negative yardage situations, and then on top of that, you continue the trend that you've had all year where the Giants, only two teams have allowed fewer passes of 20 or more yards in the Giants this year, Lance. So you put those two things together, that's how you keep an explosive team like the Seahawks off the board. Well, and they also force Seattle to become a bit one-dimensional because of all of those long yardage plays. 
Russell Wilson threw the ball 43 times. They ran the ball 22. Now, part of that was they were playing catch-up for the majority of the second half, but another big part of that is, as you just mentioned, if you're taking a sack on first and second down, when you're facing second and 19 or you're facing third and 10, you're not running the football on those downs. It's just not favorable. So that was also, I think, a critical turning point. The Giants put the game on Russell Wilson's shoulders. And if you ask Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, they're going to say, hey, we still like our chances. And granted, they got the ball back. They were down by five. Once again, if you're Seattle, you still say, hey, we can walk away with a win in this game. But the defensive pressure was consistent. They kept bringing a lot of different guys at Russell Wilson, and those guys finished. And this is going back to something we talked about all offseason. Everybody was discussing the fact that the Giants don't have an elite pass rusher. Where is the pressure going to come from? And more often than not, the response was, this is going to be a team effort type of year. And it has you're been. not going to have one guy with 10 or 11 sacks. You're going to have... Six or seven guys with four or five apiece. Well, you look at the numbers. We got four games to go. 17 different players have at least half a sack. If that doesn't tell you pretty much what Patrick Graham's philosophy is, then I don't know what to tell you at this point. Yeah, Lance, the the second leading sack person on the Giants only has three sacks. And that's Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence, if I'm not mistaken. They both have three. And Fackrell's got three, but he's on IR. Correct. And Fackrell also has three. So that's exactly the type of stuff we were talking about in the offseason. I think you have to kind of tip your cap to Patrick Graham, and that's the other thing I noticed in this game, Lance, where the Giants weren't bringing a ton of extra rushers against Russell Wilson in this game. I put it up. Let me see if I can get the exact number, because I also had this in our in our Cover 3 article. I had it in my Seahawks review article, maybe, where the Giants in this game, in terms of blitz percentage, let me see if I can find this here. Uh, the Giants got pressure on Russell Wilson on 26% of his dropbacks. Only 17th of 24 teams that played on Sunday. So it's not a great rate, right? But their sack rate was the fifth highest in the league. So when they got there, they generally got home. Russell Wilson tried to skitter out of the pocket a bunch of times, but the Giants were very disciplined, right? They didn't give him those escape routes. And the Giants only blitzed on 24% of their plays. It was just the 15th highest rate. So they weren't getting those sacks because of blitzes. You know, we saw maybe them bring a cornerback or a safety here or there, but on those plays, they would often drop back one of their defensive ends into a zone, whether it was a Carter Coughlin or a Jabal Shared. So it wasn't a situation where they were just blitzing like madmen here. And look, part of that was the fact that the Seahawks offensive line was a little bit banged up, and that's fine. But... They were able to get home with only four rushers. And when you're able to do that, it makes things on the opposing quarterback very, very difficult. Well, I think a big part of that was credit to the secondary. I think the secondary was extremely disappointing. Because Russell Wilson, if I've seen these numbers correctly, I think he was holding onto the ball for an average of just under five seconds, which is seems like an eternity it is compared a long time. to right yeah. other quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL. So that is a result of the secondary not allowing the receivers to get distance and also whether it be man or man or zone guys sticking with players. And I think that was a big reason why, to your point, he didn't have to bring the house and he relied on his front guys just winning their individual battles. And this is why it's a cliched line, but it always goes hand in hand. You get a good pass rush going because your secondary holds on to a guy or at least stays in the vicinity. Maybe hold is not the correct terminology for an extra second or two. And then the secondary could do a good job when the guys are finishing up front. And that, to me, is what's coming together here for the Giants. You're getting complementary football within the defense. You're getting complementary football from offense and defense, especially. I'm talking about within the defensive unit. 
guys are finishing and getting home on sacks because of what's happening on the back end yep. and vice versa. And that has been really big, especially when they're going up against a quarterback at the level of Russell Wilson. Yeah, Lance, and there are other plays when I watch the tape over where if Wilson has another second and the rush doesn't get there, there are guys running open in the secondary. So you're right. It is complementary football where the secondary is bailing out the rush. The rush is bailing out the secondary depending on the play. And those things just happen to time out time up very, very well. And this will be the last point before I get to the calls, and we'll get to them at uh, 973-667-1960. I know a lot of people are making a big deal about a lot of the young guys, and they played a lot of snaps. You know, Tate Crowder at 39 snaps. He had a delayed blitz. But they, they still play minimal snaps. They made a couple big plays. You know, Lalo's had the fumble recovery. Cam Brown only played 10 snaps. Carter Coughlin actually had 45 defensive snaps, which is the most he's had this year. But I just want to comment on how sacks are just so fluky. And we've kind of talked about this before on this show on the offseason lens when you count sacks. Because I look at Leonard Williams' two-and-a-half sacks, and everyone's making such a big deal about the game Leonard Williams played. And Leonard Williams did play a really good game, but it's not because he had two-and-a-half sacks. And let me explain what I mean when I say that. So Leonard Williams in this game had two-and-a-half sacks, right? He had eight total pressures. On his two-and-a-half sacks, one came because he was completely unblocked on a stunt. It was the product of the scheme. It had nothing to do with him. He just ran around the defensive tackle, and nobody blocked him. He had a straight line to the quarterback. Another play, Jabal shared, got pressure on the right tackle, which I believe was Chad Wheeler at the time, who could not block Jabal Sheard in that fourth quarter. Who yeah, had a very he came nice in for game. Jamarco Jones. Yeah, yeah, he had a really nice, really nice game, Jabal Sheard, in that fourth quarter. And he flushed Russell Wilson right into Leonard Williams. And then Leonard Williams, that was a half sack. And then Leonard Williams' other full sack was a play where Tay Cratter, I believe, was either supposed to cover the running back coming out of the backfield or had Russell Wilson as a spy, and then delayed blitzed up the middle. And Leonard Williams was getting blocked on the edge, and, well, Tay Cratter flushed Russell Wilson right to Leonard Williams. So it's funny, like, he never actually had to beat somebody straight up one-on-one for any of those two-and-a-half sacks, and it just goes to your point, Lance. It was a team effort. And even though he got the two-and-a-half sacks, it was because of the play of his teammates and the scheme that helped him get there, which I think kind of defines what this Giants defense has been this year. I was actually more impressed with the fact that he was responsible for half of the team's quarterback hits, John. Oh, 100%. If you want to go yep. to a statistical number, right? Absolutely. He had five of the team's ten quarterback hits. That, to me, is much more telling on how active, at least— he was, whether it was because of somebody else opening up an alley for him or him winning an individual battle. The bottom line is he got a hit on Russell Wilson more often than not. So that's the number that jumped out to me. And it just goes to show you that this year, it's a combination of him trusting the process, which is what the Giants coaching staff talked about. Okay, don't be itchy to constantly get the sack and worried about the numbers. Let the process, let the play play out, which I think we're seeing the results of that. And then number two, him also improving as a player. So both of those factors are in line with one another. And you know his presence has been consistent. And I think that's what you want to see from a player. Whether it's one game, John, where he gets two and a half sacks, where it's another game where he gets half a sack, but he's got three quarterback hits. All you want to see is, is that every game, somebody has to account for Leonard Williams. And I think defenses realize that this is a guy that is wreaking havoc when they study other defenses, see what they can do for their own teams. And then offenses, of course, are realizing that you can't leave this guy loose 
because he's going to make you pay. And that shows consistency out of the player, and I think the Giants are at least content from that standpoint. Yeah, I was more impressed with some of the pressure he got breaking double teams that turned into quarterback hits or pressures than I actually yeah. wore on his sacks. I'm with you 100%. 201-933-667-1960. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games. Once again, head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And the final thing I'll say here, Lance, is very simple. This is real now. You know, we talked about beating opponents that weren't that great and, you know, sneak into the playoffs. That's great. You know, it's a good story. If you can go out there and beat Seattle on the road, you can beat anybody in the NFC, period. Uh, you can beat anyone. So this is not just getting to the playoffs now. This is maybe getting to the playoffs, win a game. You know, you're going to have that first game at home. You never know. So this is real deal playoffs, you know, compete to win playoff games deal here now. With the way this team is playing, and we'll see if they're playing this way at the end of the year by the time they get there, Lance, but the way they're playing now, they can beat anybody at any time. So get in, and we're talking about a real threat in the postseason here in the NFC. Well, because their defense is playing at a high level, regardless Bingo. of who they've gone up against. And when you can hold an opponent in the 17- to 20-point barometer – yeah, you're going to take pressure off of your offense. Now, I think the offense still needs to prove a little bit more consistency in terms of its scoring prowess. Okay, that remains to be seen. But the defense is going to give this team a chance to be in games and win. And that's all you can ask for. Now, as far as the point about home field, and I'm not saying that you were saying that that's a huge advantage, I don't really think it's that big of a deal whether you host a playoff game or you go on the road no, this I year. No, I agree with that. I, agree I think with that. the records across the league have shown that. Home teams are hovering around 500. Actually, believe it or not, after last night, Lance, home teams are exactly 500 this year. Well, there you go. And Seattle will be the first one to tell you. Now, granted, Seattle played well at home. That was their first loss. The Giants handed them. But you don't have the 12th man. You don't have the noise factor. I just don't know if we need to get caught up in seeding this year. Granted, there's a distinct difference, John, between the one and the two seed this year because the one gets the bye. I'll give you that. Mm -hmm. But as far as the rest of the matchups, I don't really think you need to worry about if you got to get on an airplane and travel for a game because clearly, based on what we just talked about in the regular season, it has not been that significant of an edge. Yeah, I think maybe weather, depending on the style of play and where you're playing, that can have an impact. But I agree. The, the, the generic home field advantage that you talk about, not what it used to be. I'm with you 100%. All right, let's go to the phones. Carl, New Jersey's been on since the start of the show. Carl, welcome to the show. You're with Schmelk and Lance. How's it going? Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? Um, nothing much. I just want to, you know, talk about the Giants. What you guys said is true, man. Listen, people got to realize, when, when the Giants have years like this, this is when we do big things. This is how we won our Super Bowls, you know? We came out 7-3, 2-1, you know? But listen, man, that team right there, they're playing a hell of a hell of a game, hell of a season without Saquon, without Saquon especially. Big big shout-out to Wade Goldman, man. He's taking the team, taking over for Saquon, you know, a big spot. That defense, really good this year. The offense, you know, it needs a little bit of work, but it's all right. I think personally as a Giants fan, I'm a diehard Giants fan. I think personally, man, we're gonna win the. I think I think we have a big, big shot at winning it all. All right, Carl. Thanks for the call, man. I appreciate. It. I would I would park the car a little bit, <laughs> just a tad. <laughs> That's winning a lot of games in the postseason. That's going to be really hard. You got to win four straight games against playoff caliber opponents. Am I saying it's impossible? Of course not. The way the defense is playing, Lance, I think you are 100% right. This team right now is where they are on the strength of the defense. 
Can you sustain that over a long period of time? We'll have to wait and see. Um, if this can be sustained through the end of the year, you know, defense can historically be something that kind of, you know, flows up and down depending on opponent, but so far it's worked great, and you can't argue with the results. You go into Seattle, you do that to Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and all that stuff. Look, there's no argument. It was fantastic. So you're right. Right now this team's winning games because of their defense, Lance. The offense, once again, not making the mistakes that we've seen in the past, which I think is really you know, the best thing you could say about Colt McCoy. He had a couple big third down conversions or first downs late in the game that limited the amount of time Seattle had to try to win on that final possession. But they only had one turnover. And once again, the Giants won that turnover battle in this game. And really, that was the difference. You know, Seattle had those two turnovers right around midfield, if I'm not mistaken, right? And if they don't have those plays, they might score on those drives. And then all of a sudden, this game is very, very different. Ball security has been key. But remember, that one turnover in which Colt McCoy threw the ball to Evan Ingram and it deflected off of Evan Ingram to Quandre Diggs did not result in any points yep. because the Giants did a good job chasing down Diggs and then the sack backed them up even further, which was critical as we pointed out earlier. So when you get turnovers, what has hurt the Giants in the past is the opposing team, John, would then capitalize on that. Whereas now... Because the way the defense is playing, they're not as killer because the defense is covering up issues, just like the defense was covering up issues on special teams over the last two weeks. But as you look at the numbers, we're talking about a team right now that has 10 takeaways during this four-game winning streak and two turnovers. So you certainly like the turnover differential rate based on what has fit into place in favor of the defense being opportunistic and it's no coincidence once again based on earlier this season versus now when you take care of the football you improve your chances of winning I think we got to put the brakes on to your point this overwhelming optimism not to be a Debbie Downer but the Giants still have to take care of business okay in the yeah, regular they, season they Washington even in the playoffs got a big win yet. yesterday yeah, okay exactly you know yeah look Lance they're not in the playoffs yet yeah of all right course not. they're in a virtual tie they hold the tiebreaker but I'm sure the Washington fans are sitting down there saying the same thing the Giant fans are. They Absolutely. just beat an undefeated team on the road. How yeah. do you think they're feeling right now? And they should feel that way. Of course. No doubt about it. But I think that when you look at this Giants team, especially if you want to make comparisons like the last caller did, because I get it, it's convenient. You think about the 2011 run, more so than, in my opinion, the 07 run, when the team was 7-7, seven and seven, they won their final two games, and then they won the division. But remember, that was a career year, John, for Eli Manning. The offense was not an issue yeah. at any time that season. In terms of style of play, this reminds me more of 07, because it's more I of agree. a you know, young quarterback defense type of yeah. deal. No, no doubt about it. And the defense also coming together with the rushing attack late in the season. Yeah. That, too, I think makes it somewhat similar to 07, whereas 11 is more of a record comparison. But the problem is, is that the Giants did not have problems putting points on the board because Eli was tossing it around like he was playing yo-yo. I mean, it was easy for him. <laughs> game in and came out. Now, look, he had one of the best years in, yeah. in, in, frankly, Giants history, and I would argue in NFL history. You look at his fourth quarter numbers that year. They were just simply... Off the charts. All right, let's go to our next caller. Caller, you're on the air with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Lance and John, it's Dave from Cranford. How are you guys doing? Hey, Dave, what do you got, pal? All right, Dave. Good, guys, man. It's, uh, you know, I'm happy for a lot of people just to have meaningful football, but I'm, I'm really happy for the two of you, you know, uh, and uh, Paul and Jeff well, and the well, guys. Well, Dave, that... let me just say this. Don't be happier for anyone more so than you are for Paul DeTito. 
because this oh. literally like he's like the happiest guy on the planet right now. It's almost hard to take how happy he is, to be quite honest with you. But he no one is happier right now than Paul. Uh, and I'm very happy for him. I just like the two of you better than Paul, so that's well, why. You know. I, well, who, who can blame you, Dave? Yeah, no, I'm just, nobody I'm, can I'm, blame I'm, you under that right. situation. I'm totally, and you don't I'm, have to I'm deal just, with him on a consistent basis, yeah, so that says right. an awful lot. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Bronze himself. No, I, I'm, I'm kidding about that. <laughs> but I, <laughs> um, I wanted to you know, mention uh, one particular player and then just a comment because it just goes to what you, the three of us, have actually talked about a lot. Um, the one player that I think is really, uh, you know, maybe flying under the radar a little bit um, is just Nick Gates and the progress that he's made and and the impact that that then has across the line. When you when you can get your pivot and get your center and and you know he um, you know he started off and I mean again this is his uh, you know his his first snap um, you know at center this year right was his first snap at center yep. Um, yep. and. So that guy has has grown, and I think you see it doesn't surprise me that as he's gotten more experience, that that line. I, I think your points about being able to run the ball against a defense when they knew that that offense, you know, on Sunday really had no other opportunity to move the ball. Oh, oh yeah, Dave, to run Seattle, the ball. Seattle had eight men in the box consistently. They ran it anyway. And 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 according to some of the comments. That wasn't always part of the game plan. They adjusted that and and went heavy and said, "Okay, let's go man to man," and and it and it worked and it worked well. And and so, but I give Nick Gates a, a lot of credit. And I I guess the other comment, John, you you have talked about a lot, and I I just find this to be fascinating around the league. And that is, you know, so often how your line is functioning and how your line is doing is so critical to the success of that of that team. And, and you know, I know it's, like, obvious to say it, but you now go and you look at what's going on in Philly right now and the implosion there, and I'm almost shocked that, you know, they're talking about Wentz, like, like moving on. And, and yet at the same time, if you really look at it, and I, and I grant you, you look at what he's doing. I mean, he is clearly, clearly regressed. But you can't tell me that there's not a connection to the fact that his line has been, you know, has sure. been hurt and has been horrible. Well, you he's been hit more Dallas so than any other quarterback this well. season, Dave. Yeah, so, Dave, I mean, that tells it all. Yeah, Dave, you actually brought up what I was going to say. Dallas is the same deal. Look, I know they don't have Dak Prescott and everything, but they're without Tyron Smith, Lale Collins, Zach Martin, and they lost Travis Frederick to retirement over the offseason. I mean— when you're, I mean, and literally, Philly's in the same situation, right? They lost just as many guys over the course of the year. So it's really tough when that offensive line isn't playing well. And again, I think it goes to the style, right? The defense and the way the defense yep. is played has allowed yep. the offense to stick with a run-heavy system. I don't know how well this offensive line would play if they're in must-pass situations and in a bunch of third and longs. It might still be ugly in pass protection, to be honest with you. I don't know. Yep. But here's the good thing. We don't need to know because the way the defense is playing and the way Jason Garrett's coordinated the offense with the quick passing game and running the football and play action and mass protection, we haven't had to test that yet, which is, a, which is going back to my point that I tried to make earlier, and Joe Judge kind of said he needed to figure out the path to winning games with this group? Well, he's yep. found it. This is the path, and it all relies on the defense keeping the team in games. And again, we talked about it last week, Dave. I didn't know if they could play this way and win against a team like Seattle, 
with their explosive offense, they proved this week that they could. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I'll tell you, I'm not sure where this comment came from. You guys maybe uh, knew knew about it, but there was a comment, a um, uh, quick one, but I think it was the offensive coordinator. Is it Schottenheimer from, from Seattle? Is yeah, the Brian offensive coordinator. Brian Schottenheimer. And um, he was either talking to a reporter or talking to somebody else who then talked to a reporter. And basically, my understanding basically said, hey, um, the schemes that the Giants are throwing at us, we're not really even trying to figure out how to read them or beat the schemes. We're just going to go after and try to play the plays that we know how to do well and hope that that is good enough, which it obviously wasn't. But when you hear that coming from um, you know, an offensive coordinator as experienced as Schottenheimer with a quarterback like Wilson – you, you you know that you got something going on, on on the back end, and I think the back end had a lot to do with the pressure that we were able to get and 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 the depth that they were able to get in that back end, and and it's it's just it's just fun to watch. It's it's fun to see it come together, and it's also fascinating when when you consider the whole picture of Washington, the two the two teams, Dallas, I guess would be the third, but right now in the division. That we that people thought were under such a you know a negative because of new staffs and COVID and all the lack of time and all that sort of stuff, and here's Philly you know imploding in front of us and um, you know which is breaking my heart as you can tell. I'm sure. Um, you well, know, Dave, what, what you're basically saying is, you Thank see, you, if we all had crystal balls and you would have told me that Dallas would have lost its entire offensive line, yeah, the outlook of the team completely changes. And the same thing with the Eagles. So it just goes to show you. We're all evaluating based on paper, and on paper, Dallas and Philadelphia had a significant advantage going into the season. I think anybody who has seen those players play and that talent pool would agree, but then the dynamics change when you start losing personnel, and it comes down to who adjusts the best and who adjusts more effectively, and you're seeing the Giants in Washington adjust much more effectively than those other two teams. I mean, that to me has been one of the startling differences between these four teams right now. I remember Dallas did have a new defensive staff heading into the year, and their defense was a disaster at the start of the year, and that really, in addition to the offensive line, Lance, is why Dallas started so poorly, right? Because their defense was no so doubt about poor. It. Yeah, well, they, they also lost personnel, too. They weren't sure. fully healthy. But, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody was getting a feel for one another. And think about this. I mean, the Giants' defense didn't start off playing this way, John. Oh, no. So no, no, Patrick no. Graham had to get guys into the thick of things, and then the young guys come along, and now you could get that much more creative. The other thing, by the way, that I wanted to piggyback off of Dave's comment about what Brian Schottenheimer said, which I don't think is stunning because most teams will tell you, listen, we're going to do what we do well, and then we'll make the necessary adjustments. That's what most coordinators say. But I go back and I listen to all the opposing quarterbacks after the game. I'm very curious what did he if say? they I'm are curious. going to tell something. And the theme that I've come across, John, is if you go to what Alex Smith said, Brandon Allen, and Russell Wilson, the common phrase, and they're not listening to each other's press conferences, I will tell you that, no, is <laughs> that the Giants are mixing up the coverage and keeping us on our toes. Something to that. I'm paraphrasing it. They're always crediting the coverage, and what you see is not always what then what comes to fruition in terms of the defensive play call. That, to me, has been a theme that every opposing quarterback has said following a Giants game, which is, I see one thing, 
and then all of a sudden the play develops and I'm seeing a completely different thing. And that, to me, says an awful lot about how far this defense has come along. Yeah, I'm with you, Lance. And if you listen, and I know you did, but if the fans out there go back to the last two Giant Huddle podcasts, I had Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers back-to-back weeks. We played them back on the radio pregame show as well. I took short little segments. And I really tried to focus with them on that, Lance, because even when I look at the tape every every Monday, and look, I'm on a monitor with a clicker. And granted, look, I'm not... I'm a novice compared to these quarterbacks and coaches and professional football players that do this for a living, but I like to think I have half a clue of what I'm looking at. And a lot of times, like, you see the end of the play, and you're like, all right, they're in a cover three here. Okay, they're in a cover two here, and it's not complicated, right? There are only so many zones you can play in the NFL. So the end result is not complicated. But I literally have to go back and rewind and fast forward and play back two or three times to figure out how they got into that defense. Okay, well, Logan Ryan started here, he wound up there. Well, Martinez started here, he went there. Oh, Pepper slid down on this play. Oh, look at Julian Love. He actually has the high safety here. Oh, James Bradbury, he converted into a into a deep safety and an inverted cover two on this play. And it takes me, with a clicker and a tape, three or four times back or forth to figure out exactly how they get into these zones. I can only imagine what it's like Oh yeah, for these quarterbacks when they have like a second, literally a second, to figure out what defense the Giants are in based off that initial look. And the other theme I've gotten from Ryan and, and Jabril Lance is that the fact the Giants can stop the run with their front and their linebackers and their defensive line without having to commit the safety in the box allows them to start with that two-safety shell, and it allows them to disguise a lot more and play safeties over the top to prevent those big plays. And remember, we talked about this against the Giants four or five years ago when they couldn't run the ball at all, and Eli Manning was dealing with those two safeties deep all the time, and he couldn't make big plays down the field, right? We talked about that all the time on the show. Well, now the shoe's on the other foot. That's what the Giants are doing to other teams. And combine that with the fact, to your point, they're able to disguise pre-snap because you could start those two safeties deep. Because, Lance, once you have those two safeties deep to start, you can play any coverage you want. Literally, any coverage you want. So put all that together and then combine that with the versatility where guys can do different things and play different positions. Patrick Graham's creative. The guys are smart enough and they watch enough tape where they can handle all the different roles. You put all that together and that's how you've gotten to the dominant defense where the Giants are right now. The Giants' defense reminds me of the Transformers. I mean, because that's pretty much, right? Yeah. What this defense seems like. It starts off as a car or a vehicle or and then all of a sudden it's Bumblebee, okay? That's what pretty much happens and it's driving these quarterbacks nuts to your point it reminds me of actually the more and more I was listening to you describe how one guy starts out here and then he moves along is if you remember the Jets were playing the Patriots last year I believe it was a Monday Night Football game remember Sam Darnold said he was seeing ghosts remember that and no surprise that was against Bill Belichick's defense where Patrick Graham and Joe Judge come from so quarterbacks for the lack of a better term are seeing ghosts when they're playing the Giants and as long as they're keeping these quarterbacks guessing It's putting a lot of them in a precarious spot, even polished veterans like Russell Wilson. Now, when you look at what's coming ahead, well, Kyler Murray's still a very young quarterback. Baker Mayfield's a young quarterback. Lamar Jackson's a young quarterback. And Andy Dalton is the lone remaining veteran. But it really doesn't matter at this point because they're keeping guys guessing with all types of backgrounds on their resume. And that, to me, is an indication of, forget how good the defense is, John. It's an indication that... The comfort level 
of the personnel with one another, the comfort level of Graham with the personnel has gotten to a point where, and I used this math analogy before, so forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Early on, the Giants were able to do basic geometry, okay? That's what Graham was looking at. They're now at calculus level yep. because of their comfort and how far along they've come. And that's the true sign of a maturation process of a defense. Yeah, and i got to be honest with you, Lance, and I, I will take the mea culpa on this. I did not think that coaching could have this big of an impact, to be honest with you. I've and look I, again. I've not watched tape my whole life. I've started doing it a lot more the last five, six, seven years, eight years. But I did not think I have not seen in watching the Giants themselves over the past eight, nine years since I've been doing this. This level of complexity and just how the way you disguise and scheme can impact an offense the way the Giants are. Now I've seen it from other teams in short bursts when I prepare for the games, but it's not the same. Then when you see it every week, the way I've seen it this year, and the coaching has made a significant difference on the defensive side of the ball. I can't stress it enough. And I didn't think, given the personnel we were looking at, with, you know, you don't have a great, you don't have, beyond Bradbury, corners with a lot of experience. You don't have that edge rusher. Without really good players at those premium positions, Lance, and look, we talked about it before the offseason. I'm not saying anything I didn't say then. I didn't think it was possible. To have this high level of a defense without a top edge rusher, without top cornerbacks, I did not think this was possible this year. I really didn't. And I was wrong. And I think you got to give credit to the coaches for putting the players in the situation and the players for executing this plan the way they have because they have really just done a phenomenal job top to bottom. Yeah, it goes all the way around in terms of the credit. It also starts to put into perspective all those years that we've seen these New England defenses and they lose personnel and free agency. And, you know, they also don't have an overwhelming amount of talent or when they lost Chandler Jones and they find guys and they put the scheme together and they still keep their head above water. So, you know, that says a lot about the Belichick philosophy and how it's rubbed off on individuals like Patrick Graham and Joe Judge. There's no doubt about that. And I also think it says a lot about players on the practice squad staying ready because the Giants have had to turn to a lot of those guys too. So you got to give the players credit, as you noted, as much as you want to give the coaching staff credit because it takes a variety of factors coming into play for a defense to play at this level. This is not just luck. This is not just guys happening to be in the right place at the right time. This is them picking up tendencies on film and also mixing and matching it. You know what would be a very good interview to go back to for our listeners? You and I, John, spoke to Jonathan Casillas right before the season started, and he went into detail about how it's crazy with the game plan when he was with New England. I think that would shed a lot of light about how far this Giants defense has come along. I believe that that was part of the Giants Huddle podcast. We took that. It was on a Big Blue Kickoff Live Mm -hmm. episode too. But if you want to go back and you want to listen to some of the observations he pointed out, a lot of it is relating to where this defense is at this point. Yeah, and I really want to, again, recommend you go listen to that one and listen to the interviews I did with Logan Ryan and Peppers the last couple weeks too. Really, really good stuff from those guys. I want to remind everybody that the New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come through, come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. And, you know, Patrick Graham has said that 
these guys, he's kind of given the players ownership of this now. And Jabril Peppers and Logan Ryan both said, we hold each other accountable for watching the extra film to execute this defense properly. So we're not, again, I was just trying to give credit to the coaches because, and be a mea culpa because I did not think they'd have this big of an impact, but it, it really is up to the players in the end to execute what the, what the coaches are talking and the players match what they're trying to do and the coaches melded what they're doing to the strengths of the players. It's all that together that makes it work. 973-667-1960. Cola, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hey, it's Rick in Tampa. Rick, yeah, what's up, it, man? Right, I got it. Right as soon as you said it, I answered. All right. I'm getting the hang of it. Getting How's the, the fridge it. and the washer? Is everything all right? Yeah. It's okay. Good. good. Oh, it's running great. Excellent. <laughs> That's great. Hey, listen. Who's from? Is this this a Nutley phone number? You from Nutley? Uh, yes, I am in Nutley. Oh yeah, I'm from Cedar Grove. Oh, very good. Right up. Well, well I I, I live good. in Nutley. Me and Lance are both born in the best borough in the world, Brooklyn, New York. Yes. That's so good. don't start That's boasting yeah, too much about Nutley, okay? I'm it's going to be a, a distant yeah. second Nutley to Clinton's anything related great. to Brooklyn, hey, New York, all as all far as I'm theater, concerned. Right? And by the way, there. and real Brooklyn, we're not talking like suburb, you know, Williamsburg, you know, you know, Prospect Park, Brooklyn. We're talking like deep Brooklyn. That's where we're from. <laughs> hey, uh, well, you talk about coaches. Let's just compare uh, Shermer and Beckler, Beckler from last year. My gosh, good coaches. What a difference. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to talk for since the win. Let me just first set the precedent of that. Unbelievable. Great win. I mean, when was the last time you heard these words? Uh, December winning football, defensive uh, domination, run down their throats for the Giants. Those three things. You, you haven't heard it in, in years. So it's just it's such a testament to the coaching staff and how well the team has been playing. And it was an amazing win for a person who – called many times saying you know this is a game where you know it doesn't look good but they they actually did it so that you know props to them it was a great win i'm super excited now all my a lot of my excitement went out a little bit yesterday with washington beating pittsburgh because ah, Rick, uh, i Rick, really don't let that happen though look the bottom line I, know, Lance, look, I have stressed this I look the giants have to take care of business themselves they cannot yeah. rely on other teams to do their dirty work for them yeah, I mean, that True. philosophy, True. if you're worried about Washington beating Pittsburgh, Rick, you seem to have the philosophy of, I'm going to get into the playoffs based on what other people failed to do. And I right. told you this, and John just echoed the sentiments beautifully. If that's your philosophy, you're not going to the playoffs. You're never going right. to the playoffs if you're just going to say, hey, everybody else is going to lose and we're going to back our way in. It's just that doesn't right. happen like that. That's true. That is true. I know. But again, I've had this conversation with you many times. I mean, that's as a fan. That's what I was thinking. Now, the thing is, I've heard a couple discussions on earlier today, and um, my opinion is that uh, which is which is a bigger bigger win. I mean, Washington against Pittsburgh or Giants against Seattle. I'd have to go Giants against Seattle only because uh, Pittsburgh, you know, played like five games in a week, and and Washington well, three had like games two weeks in twelve off, days. So. But I mean, Pittsburgh yeah, was so. an undefeated team. Yeah, I mean, who cares? Yeah. They're both great no. wins. Who cares? Yeah, you don't get brownie wins, points right. for who you beat in the NFL. No, you don't. But they were both uh, both uh, big wins for both good teams. Now, all right, I'm I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at these four games that are left. With both teams. I don't Mullen look terrible. San Francisco is not the same without Garofalo. Uh, it's what do you know? Do you know if he, I heard he may be playing this week. So um, again, I'm looking. Yeah, he's at close. Fan, he's at, close. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. And then you look at our last game against the Cowboys, who we always have a tough time with. They have Philadelphia, who's a wreck. I mean, they don't know what their quarterback's going to be. So I think it's coming down to these two games between us against Arizona, who came in and killed us last year. Uh, I know it's a different coaching staff, so we can't, you know. But they have come in here and beat us before. And then we have Cleveland. 
So those two games, and they have Seattle, which obviously we just beat. So uh, I, I think it's going to come down to those two games for our team, uh, Cleveland and Arizona, and them with um, uh, uh, Seattle and uh, who do they play after San Francisco? Seattle, and then they have uh, uh, before Philadelphia. Who does Washington play before Philadelphia? Uh, Dallas, I believe. No, 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 no. Dallas, they got twice already. Uh, I'm bringing up the schedule Dallas. right now because I didn't memorize it. Let's see. Washington has San Francisco, then Seahawks, the Panthers, and the Eagles. Panthers. That's it. And again, all right. So you look at those, and I'm just saying, those look look like on paper. I'm just saying on paper. There's the two easy games for them. Carolina is not a good team, and neither is, is the Eagles. They're just falling apart. Carolina has been feisty, man. I'm telling you, don't yeah. don't discount Carolina. I'm hoping not to get a discount. Them, Rick, but I, listen, I, I get that this is fun from a fan's perspective, Thank you, but let me just jump in here. The reason why I hate this game, okay, if you would have looked at the Giants' schedule and you would have circled the Cincinnati game at the beginning of the season, what would you have told me? Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow and the Bengals. There's going to be a dangerous game. And then you find out Brandon Allen starts. So do we know what some of these teams are going to look like four weeks from now? Lance, this is what I'm going to say. The Giants in Washington are both fully capable – of winning every game they have left on their schedules and losing every game they have left on their schedules, period. When you play the way these two teams play, where you're going to play low-scoring, close games, and rely on your defense, you are one or two takeaways or special teams touchdowns or whatever, or big play over the top, your cornerback falls down, whatever. Things that just happen in the NFL. They happen to all teams. You're one or two of those in a game away from losing to anybody. Period. Stop. Conversation over. So you got to go out there and play well. Let's not make it out like the Giants go out there and play their C game against somebody and come away with a 10-point win. All right? No. Go out there and play well. I don't care who your opponent is, okay? Because they can lose to anyone and they can beat anyone. Period. Well, and that's why, see, the way that I evaluate teams is what do you as a team do well? How consistent are you? And therefore, it doesn't matter who you're playing against because you stick to what you've done well. So if you look at the Giants right now, the defense has been consistent, meaning you go into most games and you say, okay, we know what we can lean on from a defensive philosophy. The offense has fluctuated a little bit more, but they've been running the ball effectively and they've done a good job protecting the football. So those are two common traits that also keep you in games and help you win. You continue to do those things. You're going to be in every game. But with that being said, the challenges of the upcoming schedule, it's not so much about who the opponents are. John, it's the fact that each of these teams is very different, okay, in terms of their style of play. That's the way that I look at it. Baltimore, for example, is going to be a team that is going to look to run the ball down your throat between Lamar Jackson and their three running backs. Cleveland looks to run the football, but Cleveland's also come a long way with their defense, okay? That defense is playing really good. Let's give credit to Kevin Stefanski and that coaching staff because, you know, who would have thought Cleveland would be 9-3 and three right now? Arizona, Kyle, Kyler Murray looks like he may be a little bit banged up. They're dynamic, though, in terms of their receiving core. Their defense is hit or miss. The bottom line is these teams are evolving week in and week out, so the challenge is going to be very different for the Giants. That's why you talk about what the Giants do well. What can they hang their hat on as opposed to what the opposition does well or doesn't do well? Lance, this is the, uh, uh, the, the. I'll put it simply this way: the Giants just played back-to-back games. One against a Bengals team that right now has the third-worst record in football, and a Seattle team that was tied with the best record in the NFC heading into the game. You cannot have two teams that were much different, right? Brandon Allen versus Russell Wilson. 
You realize the Giants were closer to losing that game to Cincinnati than they were losing this game to Seattle? Absolutely. The Bengals had the ball in midfield. Yeah, Mid- if it wasn't for the sack, John, yeah. all they needed was 20 more yards for a game-winning field goal. Maybe 15. Yeah. All right? So that's why you can lose any one of these games. And yeah, opponents matter when you break it down, how you look at numbers and all that stuff. Opponents do matter. They matter a lot. But if you play poorly, you can go out there and lose to Cincinnati with Brandon Allen, okay? Like, it can happen. And if you can go lose to Cincinnati with Brandon Allen, you can lose any one of these last four games. But if you can go with the Seattle and beat Russell Wilson home to 10 points, guess what? You can beat any of them either. So that's the bottom line. 973-667-1960. Back to the calls. Caller, you're on the air with Lance and John. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Is this is this me? I didn't hear a click. Yeah, no, you're on. Oh, great! This is Mike um, out in, out in Oakland, California. Hey, Mike, what's up? How you doing? Mike? I'm doing hey, great. Mike. Hey, man, I'm you know I'm out here in California and, and I can't even go to a Giants bar because of COVID. So you know, I just coming on your show, listening to you guys, it's uh, it's a highlight of my day for sure. Well, we appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. So you know, I, I I'm mostly calling just to kind of say um, you know it's time for the Giants fans to finally count our blessings. You know. So much has turned around this year that you know from the pain of the last three years, especially. But even you know the you know the the squandering of uh, Eli Manning's career um, toward the end of his career, which was you know so frustrating to watch. You know, all of a sudden, I, I see so much good happening. You know, like the, the coaching staff, I've got so much confidence in. And I don't really understand why I hear see a lot of people talking about Jason Garrett. It seems like in a negative way and not having him next year, because I feel like if we can keep this coaching staff, we should. There are people that want to get rid of Jason yeah, Garrett? said anything Who about wants, the coaching uh, staff changing? Really? Is, is that true? I'm reading it. You know, I, I, you know, I, I just do a, a Google news ticker for the New York Giants. Yeah, sure. So I spend some part. Yeah, I've seen a lot of scuttlebutt about him not being around next year. Well, I mean, he and, might not be around because another team hires him as their head coach, but I would certainly like to avoid that if possible. Yeah, I'm with you, 100%. I mean, I, I'm really uh, appreciating um, the game planning, the ability to change up stuff, the ability to exploit the other team's weakness. I mean, that's just, was, in my opinion, was just completely lacking the last, like, three, four years. So I'm loving it. You know, defense we've talked a lot about, and, and rightly so. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think is so key to it is, you know, we, we nobody's, no, it's not that people aren't talking about it, but to have, um, a middle linebacker and safeties that can handle a complex defense. Sure. I feel like we haven't had that in an awful long time. I mean, clearly, like Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, and um, Blake Martinez are able to, you know, handle this kind of a complex defense. And how long has it been since we've had that, right? Well, let me put it this way. How long has it I mean, for the, since 2013, when things started going south here, right, it's always been the middle of the field getting killed tight ends middle of the field getting killed tight ends. Now, now the middle of the field's a strength it's a strength now absolutely it's a huge change well i think part and, of that mike is also the two guys you named to have some ties to patrick graham so the familiarity between uh-huh. the coordinator and the players i think has also helped that's not to say that if you would have had two different players other than blake martinez and logan ryan they wouldn't have success but i think graham knows the strengths and weaknesses in particular of those two guys and what they can handle you know mike i want to tip my cat to julian love too and i wrote this in the mailbag that'll be hitting today really? on giants.com the fans don't realize the fans realize he's played the seventh most defensive snaps on the team 
Seventh no, most. I wouldn't. He's played free safety more than any other player on the team. He has more than 100 more free safety snaps than Logan Ryan this year, who moves down into the really? box. So for a team that never gives up big plays, never. Again, only two teams have given up fewer passes of 20 or more yards. And you don't see Julian Love making a lot of plays and tackles and stuff. The mere fact that teams aren't targeting him deep down the field tells you that he's doing a good job. And he nearly no had doubt. an interception that's, against Seattle. That, that's that's some good stuff. I did not know that, so thanks for sharing that. Hey, I do want to jump real quick to Jabril Peppers, though, because, um, you know, when when the trade happened with OBJ and when they released Landon Collins, you know, I was definitely a fan of Landon Collins. I actually thought when we traded up for him in the draft, that was, a you know, a really good move. Um, and the question when the OBJ trade happened and, and, you know, Landon was released was, is Jabril Peppers just Landon Collins light? You know, is this a guy who is going to, because Landon Collins is great in the box safety, but, you know, I think we all know that he had some weaknesses in coverage. And initially I was a little disappointed in Jabril Peppers in coverage, but I got to tell you, that situation has really turned around. I mean, he is flying all over the field. He's defending passes. He's making plays. I think Jabril Peppers has turned into the star that we were hoping we were going to get when that trade happened. Well, they're kind of using him, and Mike, thanks a lot for the call. I want to try to squeeze a couple more guys in. He's kind of playing the way the Seahawks using Jamal Adams, right? He's blitzing now. He's around the line of scrimmage. He's guarding the tight end one-on-one a little bit, but I think he's been good in zone coverage, Lance. He had the big hit. I think it was on Lockett on that final Seahawks drive that kind of you know knocked that pass loose that could have given Seattle close to a first down. Um, on that final drive they had going down the field. So, you know, he is playing well, and they're using him to his strengths. They're not – he's barely played free safety, Lance. Like, he's been a line – he's basically their second inside linebacker in their nickel package, and we talked about that in the offseason, right? Could they go three safeties, have Julian Love and Logan Ryan be their deep guys? Or we, well, Actually, it was McKinney at the time, right? We were talking about McKinney and Love before he got hurt, and have Peppers be that other inside linebacker next to Martinez. Well, they're basically doing that on a lot of these, you know – sub-package situations. Well, he's their Swiss Army knife, essentially. Yeah. Because he's being moved around so much. I mean, we saw him sack Russell Wilson, to your point, breaking up some passes. He's had some opportunities for interceptions. There was that play. I know this didn't work out in his favor, but remember, he was the one on Boston Scott in the first Eagles game when Mm -hmm. Carson Wentz threw the game-winning touchdown. So they've put him in a variety of spots. And part of that, once again, is because... Patrick Graham has the faith that he can move around and handle that. Actually, if you ask most of the guys on the Giants coaching staff, especially Jerome Henderson, the DB's coach, he said Peppers is the one guy he has to tell to calm down more often than not because, (laughs) right, he plays such at a high level and his energy is so high. He'd like to see him take a step back more often than not and say, hey, Jabril, process it a little bit slower so that you don't then overdo it on one single play. But, yeah, he, I think, has lived up to expectations and – Knock on wood, he stayed healthy, too, this year. Remember, he suffered the back injury Mm -hmm. last year, so the fact that he's been able to stay on the field has been key, too. I mean, that was the other thing, by the way, with Landon Collins, who the last caller brought up, and we're seeing that with Washington again, you know, the injury bug. And remember, you can have a lot of upside. You can be great as a player, but if you can't stay on the field, it lessens your value. And I think the Giants also 
took that into consideration before they decided to move on. And remember, Landon Collins was a free agent, and they decided not to give him the franchise tag. So his contract was expiring. They didn't outright release him, just for the sake of fact. And I am way behind on my copy here, so let me get a couple reads in. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games. Once again, head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC. Caller, I know I have you on the line. We'll get to you in a second. And I was thinking about this the other day, Lance, and this is me trying to look ahead, which is probably stupid, and I'm happy I'm doing doing this at the end of the show so I don't get calls on it. (laughs) But the Giants are going to have to make some pretty big decisions coming up here this offseason, even heading into next now. And we'll see if Patrick Graham gets some looks as a head coach. I bet you he will get some interviews. I wouldn't be surprised by that with the way the defense is playing. And obviously his uh, Bill Belichick connection, but... The Giants are going to have to decide now, and there was a recent report that the cap could be $195 million this year and not 175 which would be a nice um, little boost to give some teams some more flexibility. But they're going to have to decide if Logan Ryan's back. They're going to have to decide if Dalvin Tomlinson's back. They're going to have to decide if Leonard Williams is back. Uh, they could extend Peppers' offseason. He's going to be on his fifth-year option, right? So these are big decisions you're going to have to make on a lot of your, frankly, key defensive pieces here, Lance, to see if you think this is the path that you want to sustain and invest a lot of your assets in. Because once you do that, you're kind of committing to it for a couple, you know, two, three years, right? So is that the path they want to go down, or are they going to embrace, much like to your point, the Patriots, right? They put numbers on guys, and they decide, you know, all right, we'll move on from this guy, we'll move on from that guy, and we'll make the changes we need to make. So that's going to be an interesting decision that they have this offseason and next as to how they want to and how much they want to spend to kind of keep this defense together considering the way they're playing. Yeah, the turnover rate in New England had been very high, and that's why they more often than not have said, hey, if somebody in the market outbids us, we'll let the player walk and will just turn to another player. And that's why, actually, which I think is connected to what you're alluding to, John, the importance of getting these young guys on the field this year, such as practice squad players or players that may have been low-round picks, such as the Carter Coughlin's or the Cam Browns, because it gives you a better idea of seeing the potential of how you can use that player and what that player can do who's currently on a rookie contract that is not eating up a lot of salary cap space. So in the event you do have to move on from one of the guys you just mentioned, you feel good about, okay, we've had this guy. He's been in the system for a year. He played well. Small sample size. If we expand it, we can use him this way, that way. When you see the visual evidence, John, I think it makes it a little bit more easier to evaluate who you could potentially move on from. So that has to be considered. What do the Giants think of the young guys, the Tate Crowders, the Nico Lalos's, all of these other guys that I could sit here and give you a laundry list of because those guys don't eat up a lot of money, and that maybe makes it a little bit easier to digest losing somebody in free agency. Yeah, like do you think that Xavier McKinney can replace Logan Ryan? Yeah, there's another guy. Do you Correct. do you think that even a guy like Austin Johnson, who's a younger player, Lance, but not a guy the Giants drafted, do they think Austin Johnson can step in for Dalvin Tomlinson and they don't lose much? Do they think B.J. Hill could step in for Dalvin Tomlinson and not lose a whole lot? I don't know what the coaches think about that. I have no idea. Um, but but it's a conversation are, that has to be had, though. Well, yeah, and I'm sure those conversations are happening now, and even to a diff- to a separate extent, and I think he's a little bit of a, of a different class of player in terms of Leonard Williams. Like, do you think 
you can move somebody in and you would be okay? Or what's the price point that you're comfortable with? You know, those are all the questions that have to be answered here as they head into the offseason. Anyway, that's a conversation for another day, but it's something that had popped in my head the last couple days and I was thinking about it a little bit. All right, final caller. You're on the air with Schmelk and Lance. We'll go a little late today. Caller, what's your name? Where are you calling from? It's Charlie, Portland, Maine. Hi, what's guys. up, Charlie? Hey, uh, just just what you were just talking about. Uh, I think they're going to do the patriotic uh, dance, and they're just going to go with younger guys. The patriotic dance? You mean they're going to have like yeah, they're going to have like Uncle Sam's hat on and fireworks <laughs> and American flags and stuff? Exactly. And throw they're money out the window dance. too in the process. <laughs> so in other words, like uh, most of them are going to be gone. I mean, Lennon Williams they took a gamble by franchise tagging him instead of paying him. Before now, they're going to have to pay him more than they would have had to pay him. No. And there's no Again, way. Again, Charlie, pay him. you're assuming Leonard Williams was going to sign a long-term contract at a discount. I hate to tell you, he wasn't. Well, do you think you you think if he ends up with 12 sacks that he's going to be asking for? Less than he—he's going to ask for more than he would have. Yeah, but the point is, what John was saying is, it takes two to tango, Charlie. You're only looking at it through the team. I know that. I know that, Lance. I understand it takes both. Both. Okay, so so it defeats the purpose of what you're saying. If Leonard Williams is at the negotiating table with the Giants and he says, "Guys, I don't want to sign this long-term deal. I want to bet on myself." Okay, then the Giants' hands are tied. Then they say, yeah. all right, Leonard, we'll give you the franchise right. tag. Go out there and play, period. Troy, what have, what have last? and again, I have no idea. I'm just throwing yeah. out random numbers. Yeah. What happens if Leonard said last year, all right, the franchise tag was what, like $15 million on him, something like that? Yeah. I'm only willing to sign a long-term contract at an average of $15 million per year. I'm only going to sign a five-year, $75 million contract, okay? And the Giants go, yeah. we're not paying you five years, seventy-five, And I don't think you would blame him for not wanting to do that last year, right? I get that. So... But, okay, now this year he played better. Okay, well, now I want a five-year, $85 million contract. That, <laughs> exactly. No, but that doesn't mean that you should have signed him to the five-year, $75 million deal last year based on his performance. You know what I'm saying? Both yeah, things can well, be true at the same all time. All I know is he's, he's a good player and we're going to end up losing. But that's just not why I call. Anyway. The reason I called is when you guys were talking about when Lance was saying, oh, it doesn't matter what Washington does. It doesn't matter if they win or lose. It's no, just it ma- no, Charlie, it matters, but you can't count on it. Yeah, but what, what we're going to look back on is that is a game Washington should have lost. Pittsburgh should have beat them. And if we end up losing the division by one game to Washington – that's where you look back and go, my God. No, you look back. That game. No, you look back and you say, what game should I have won that I didn't win, so that you finish tied with Washington? You can't depend on another team to lose for you, Charlie. You need to go the out there. The whole division's and... losing, John. We yes. wouldn't be in the position we were in if the whole division wasn't lousy. Well, hold losing. on a minute. Did of the course. Giants not have a double-digit lead on the Eagles in Philadelphia and blow that game? Thank you. So you're going to dismiss that simply because the Steelers are up 14 nothing and not have that conversation? That doesn't add up, Charlie. Well, I, no, I would look at that game, too, and say, Okay, yeah, so then but, why are we having a conversation about Pittsburgh and Washington? Because it's both. It's both. You can't just say one— no, but no it's not. No, it's not, Charlie, because you know what? Based on the math right now, if the Giants win out, they hold the tiebreaker over Washington. So I don't want to hear anything about what Washington does. The Giants control their own destiny. 
Why are we having yeah, a conversation about other teams? Yeah, but they're not going to win out. They're not going to win four games. They're going to lose. I'm not saying two, you believe they're going right? to win four games or they're not. The bottom line is the reality is they control their own destiny. So we don't have to have a conversation about what other teams do. And, Charlie, the Giants can't con- – you could only control what you control. You can't control what other teams do. All you can control is what you do yourself on the field. So counting I, no, on somebody else that. is, is – is, it, it, it's just counterproductive because it can't help you. Of course you're sitting there rooting for Washington to lose of course if they lose it helps you no no duh of course turf but you know <laughs> you, but you, but you can't control that so i i know but what i'm trying to say is this is not a vacuum where the giants are like you know living in a vacuum and if they just you know they're the only ones who can go out there and win the other teams there's a part of the equation of course it's the other side of the coin sure you can't just look at one side of the coin and not look at the other side charlie what is the first thing i said on today's show before we even talked about anything with the giants i don't know i didn't hear it i I mentioned that washington won yesterday it's how i opened the show so of course it's the other side of the coin we understand that, and it's very important. We understand that, too. But if you're a Giant fan and you're a person in that Giant building, all you can do is take care of your own business. And to Lance's well, I, no, point, if that. you take care of that. your own business, things will happen. If you sit there and you say, it's okay to lose this game at Baltimore because the Niners are playing the, the, the Panthers or whatever, that's a losing formula. That's something you can't do. That's the only point that we're making. All right. Uh, okay, I'll take your point. And uh, do you take my point? No, I don't take your point. John may consider it. I don't. I'm flat out telling you I don't because you're refusing to acknowledge you, the fact that the Giants it. had games earlier this season that they could have won, and you're dismissing that. So that's what I find troubling. No, look, you can only control what you control. All right, Lance, uh, we've had a million schedule changes. So I'm going to try to get this right. So tomorrow it is Fiegels and I. Thursday, it is you and Detino, and then Friday, it is me and Detino. We'll all be back at noon every day this week getting ready. We'll turn the page. I already watched the Cardinals offense and my write-up on them already. So we'll move on to the Cardinals tomorrow with Fiegels and I as you get ready for the Giants week, oh boy, is it 14 matchup? Yeah, week 14. Week 14 matchup. Fantasy playoffs start too, by the way. We are getting there, and Lance, by the way. Not to get into something nobody cares about but us, but you will. <laughs> well, we always like those conversations. I believe you're the. Have you clinched the buy? I was going to look at that. This, yes, I, I have clinched the buy, but I was going to clinch the buy regardless of yes. another team choking it away. Yes, because I had the edge <laughs> in terms of other factors. Yes, but, you but while you guys undersell me in the league, okay, which is another topic that nobody cares about, just know that I will have a chip on my shoulder as we get into the playoffs. So just watch out. That's all I have to well, say. That's fine. You just keep underselling me. Well, that's I, fine. I've had, yeah. a, I've had a lot of bad luck this year. I am pre- I'm leading the league in total points, yet I've just barely made it into the playoffs because I've run into a lot of bad luck. But I am hot. Oh, okay. I am the hot team heading into the playoffs. Well, that and hot I, team is going to have to play this weekend yes, while some of us are going to sit back, well, relax, and enjoy the not, show. Not, so just know that. Not some of us have, you know, some of us haven't been as fortunate as you have been in terms of the strength of schedule you've gone up against this year. Or but, some you know, of us just make very good decisions and have a consistent team. That's all. <laughs>
It's another way to look at it. Hey, as Charlie said, I can't believe I'm going to quote him. There's two sides to the coin. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> All right, there are about two people listening right now, and that's me and you. So yes. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The New York Lottery has released their seasonal scratch-off games once again. Head to your nearest retailer for the chance to win up to $500,000. Please gift responsibly. And remember, Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our podcasts, including Big Blue Kickoff, the Giants Huddle, and Giants Rewind on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platform. So in two weeks, if Lance and I are very terse towards each other, it's probably because we're about to play each other in the fantasy playoffs. <laughs> yes. that's, that, that's about it. All right, everybody, thanks for being with us. Feegs and I are back tomorrow at noon. Stay safe out there, everybody. See you next time.